0: privilege for me to be able to uh, preach again. This is a congregation, this is my family, my home, and I uh, love all of you very much. I think you know. In our lesson tonight, I wanna to discuss some things that we cannot escape. There are things that are in, in uh, inevitable that we must accept. There's nothing we can do about it. We might be ignorant of some of those things. We might disbelieve or reject some, we cannot do away with them. We might ignore them, we might neglect them, we might even despise them, but those things do not free us from these things that we cannot escape. The first thing I want to mention tonight is individual responsibility. Every one of us has our own individual responsibilities. We are all personally responsible to God. And God will hold each one of us responsible for these things. In this age, if we're going to go to God, we must go through Jesus Christ. In John 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Christ gives us laws. And every one of us is responsible for being obedient to those laws. That is an in, inevitable fact. Christ re, requires that every one of us believe in Him. In Hebrews 11 and verse 6, the Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Every one of, of us must be willing to repent of our sins. In Acts 17 and verse 30, the Bible says in these times of ignorance God overlooked, now He commands all men everywhere to repent. Every one of us must be willing to confess our faith in Jesus as the Son of God. In Matthew 10 and verse 32, Jesus said, Whoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I also confess before my Father in heaven. Every one of us must be willing to be baptized into Christ. When Jesus gave the the Great Commission, he said in Mark 16, verses 15 and 16, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. When the apostles began preaching the gospel for the very first time, they were asked, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter answered in Acts 2 and verse 38, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Every one of us is responsible for obeying those commands. We have to make up our own minds what we're going to do about those laws. But we need to understand that we cannot be freed from them. In John 8 and verse 24, Jesus said, If you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. In Luke 13 and verse 3, He said, Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. In Matthew 10 verse 33, Jesus said, Whoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father in heaven. And when we refuse to be baptized, we are disregarding God's law. Luke 7 and verse 30 says, The Pharisees and the the lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, having not been baptized by him. Every Christian has a personal responsibility in remaining faithful. In Matthew 10 and verse 22, Jesus said, You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. In Matthew 24, verses 12 and 13, Jesus said, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. In Revelation 2 and verse 10, the Lord says, be faithful even until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Every one of us is responsible for practicing pure and undefiled religion. In James chapter one and verse 27, James says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. We must not only be hearers of God's word, but we must be doers of the word. James chapter 1 and verse 22, James says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. A person thinks all he has to do is read the Bible once in a while. He's deceiving himself. He must obey what it says. In James 1 and verse 25, James says, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Those who do not remain faithful to God are going to be lost. That's an inevitable fact that we must face. All Christians are personally responsible for helping others who are lost to be saved. It may be people who have never become Christians. It may be Christians who are not faithful and out of duty. In 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2, Paul says, the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In 1 Peter 3 and verse 15, Peter says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. In James 5, verses 19 and 20, James says, Brethren, if any among you, that is other Christians, if any among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the air of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. We need to accept this as our own personal responsibility, much like Paul did. He said in Romans 1 verses 14 and 15, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome also. Those of us who are parents, have a responsibility in training our children. There are many parents who will give their children anything except a knowledge of God. They'll give them food, clothing, a a fine house, money, make sure they get an education, and so forth. But they do not give them real Bible training. God says through Moses in Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 and 7, These words which I command you, shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up." At every opportunity, we need to teach our children about God. Parents owe their children an example of someone who is involved daily in Bible study, regular worship, and the right kind of conduct as well as their speech. Ephesians 6 and verse 4, Paul says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture or training and admonition of the Lord. Those who are children have a responsibility to be obedient to their parents. Ephesians 6 and verses 1 through 3, Paul says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth." All of us, regardless of how old or how young we are, have a personal individual responsibility. God is going to hold us accountable. Secondly, we cannot escape the all-seeing eye of God. Proverbs 15 and verse 3, Solomon says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place keeping watch on the good, evil and the good. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 4 and verse 13, There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God sees everything about us. It's as though we were not clothed. The word open means the head bent back. When I was a little boy, I, I didn't like to use soap when I took a bath. They'd ask me to take a bath and I'd come back and Mother said, lift up your head and I'd have these beads (laughs) across here. I'd have to go take another one. My head was bent back. That's the way God sees us. We don't hide anything from Him. We may wish to get away from God's all-seeing eye, but there's no place that we can go to do that. David wrote in Psalm 139, verses seven through 12, But the night, it shines as the day, the darkness and the light are both alike to you. It doesn't matter how dark it is, it doesn't matter how foggy it is, God sees us. He sees everything. He sees those who are wicked. He sees those who are lazy. He sees those who are indifferent. He sees things that people do under darkness, behind walls, even our thoughts are known by God. Jeremiah 17 and verse 10, God says, I the Lord search the heart, I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. In Revelation 2 and verse 23, the Lord says, All the churches shall know that I am he who searches the mind and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. He knows everything we're thinking. He even knows our motives. Therefore our hearts need to be controlled. The wise man Solomon said in Proverbs 4 and verse 23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. And Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 10 verses four and five, and said, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God get this, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. God wants us to control our thoughts so that we'll be obedient in everything. He knows and sees everything including our thoughts and motives. Thirdly, you cannot escape having an influence on the people around you. In Second Corinthians 3 and verse 2, Paul said, You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Whoever we are, we are influencing someone. It's probably someone younger than we are, probably someone who, who admires us, who likes us, who looks up to us, Someone is watching, and we're having an influence on them. We may decide, well, I don't want to influence one way or the other. Well, if that's our attitude, it's a bad influence. In Matthew 12 and verse 30, Jesus said, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Jesus taught his disciples that they are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Matthew 5 and verse 13, he said, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. If we're not making the world better, if we're not helping other people, what good are we? Matthew 5, 14 through 16, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. The city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. If our light is not shining, what good is it? If our light is confined to this building, what good is it? It can't be seen out in a world of darkness What good is it? In Philippians 2, verses 14 and 15, Paul says, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. We're to lead other people to God, lead other people to Jesus. Show them the way that God wants us to live. One's influence may be such as to corrupt his companions. We may have companions that will corrupt us. In 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 6, Paul says, Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Just a little bit of badness can affect a whole group. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33, Paul says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. If we're around people that are doing the wrong kinds of things, saying the wrong kinds of words, we're going to find ourselves at least thinking those words and probably saying those words and being tempted to do their deeds. We should be very careful not to do anything that would put a stumbling block in front of others. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 32 Paul writes, Give no offense either to the Jews or the Greeks or to the church of God. And notice the warning of Jesus in Matthew 18 verses 6 and 7. He said, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. God is very serious about that. If you cause others to sin, you're in deep trouble. These facts should cause us to wanna live a life of devotion and consecration and encouragement and to refrain from all kinds of sinful activity. Number four, we cannot escape the consequences of sin. In Galatians six verses seven and eight, Paul writes, "Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will love the flesh reap corruption. but he who sows to the spirit will love the Spirit, reap everlasting life. We cannot sow one thing and reap another. That's true in the plant kingdom. It's also true in the spiritual realm. In Romans 6 and verse 23, Paul writes, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. It's eternal separation from God. The wages are going to be paid. Jesus wants to pay them for us. And if we will obey him... And that's going to be the case, it'll it'll pay for it. If we don't, we're going to be eternally separated from God. But even though we may be forgiven of sins, there are still consequences to those sins. Forgiveness does not always take away the consequences. A person may choose to drink alcohol, but he cannot escape the consequences. It's going to harm his body. It's going to weaken his will, it's going to destroy his influence for good and it can condemn his soul. I've done far too many funerals that resulted from abuse of alcohol and drugs. Young people may choose a life of lawlessness and sin and shame, but remember God is not mocked and sin always pays its wages. Why would anyone want to provoke God to anger? Dozens of times we read in the Bible where God becomes angry by the sins of the people. and They're always punished. Every transgression in the Old Testament received a just reward. It's going to be even worse if we disobey the word that comes through Christ. In 1 Corinthians 10, verses 21 and 22, Paul says, You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot practice or partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? The writer of Hebrews says plainly in Hebrews 10, verse 31, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. People say, oh, God is love. Yes, He is. And He loves you so much that He sent His Son to die for you. But if you reject His commands, God is a consuming fire. So as Paul says, we need to behold the goodness and the severity of God. You can choose a life of sin if you want to. God gives us That choice. But we must remember that we will not escape the consequences of sin. The worst of which is eternity in hell with the devil and his angels. Fifthly, death is an an inevitable fact that all of us must face. Unless Jesus comes first, every one of us is going to die. Hebrews 9 verse 27 tells us it is appointed unto man to die once. After this, the judgment. We don't like to talk about death. We don't like to think about death. But we need to. To realize that we need to be prepared for it. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 2. Better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men. And the living will take it to heart. Every one of us has a a, a destiny with death. It's going to take place. It's going to happen. And as we get older and older, we should strive harder and harder to be faithful to God. It disturbs me when I see people as they get up in years. As the old saying goes, they have one foot in the grave already. And yet they're not faithful to the Lord. They make all kinds of excuses for not doing what they ought to do. But That's not just for the old people. We have no guarantee of life. Death comes upon all ages. Cemeteries are filled with people of over a hundred and under one, and everything in between. James says in James 4 and verse 14, What is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1 and verse 24. All flesh is as grass. All the glory of man is a flower of grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away. We know that a vapor, is there and then it's gone. We've all seen grass die. We've all seen flowers that look so beautiful, but very soon they're gone. God wants us to know that's the way life is. Death will end all opportunities for those who are unfaithful to make things right with God. In contrast, death will be for the righteous, will be the beginning of a blissful rest and peace. Revelation 14 and verse 13, John writes, Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Christians have labors in this life. It's not always easy to be a Christian. It's not always easy to do what is right. In fact, sometimes it's very hard to do what's right. But whether we're Christians or not, we're going to have burdens, we're going to have trials, we're going to have hardships. But Paul writes in Romans 8 and verse 18, For I reckon, or I consider, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to, with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul had many hardships in his life. So many times he was beaten, sometimes he was stoned, had shipwrecked, all kinds of bad things happened to him. Paul once said those things are not even worthy to compare with the glory when we get to heaven. Someone said it's going to be like getting paid a hundred million dollars for one day's work. Can you imagine that? Life on this earth is short. I cannot believe I've lived 70 years. I ought to be 20. (laughs) It goes by so fast. Eternity never ends. We get to heaven it's going to be like getting paid a hundred million dollars for one day's work. It's going to be a lot better than that. The sixth thing that we must face is the judgment. Acts 17 verses 30 and 31 Paul says, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man he has ordained. He's given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. He said in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. And one of the things we are going to be judged by is what, by what the Bible says. In John 12 and verse 48, Jesus said, He who rejects me and does not receive my word has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. You're not going to be judged by what I think. You're not going to be judged by the opinions of your parents. Everyone is going to be judged by what the Lord said. And so we need to make sure it's what the Bible says, not not what some preacher thinks. Not someone's opinion, but what the Bible says. On that day, every knee is going to bow to God. Romans 14, verses 10 and 11 says, We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. A lot of people deny the Lord today. A lot of people ridicule, say, oh, there's no such thing. That last day, every knee is going to bow. There's not going to be any atheist. Every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess the Lord. It's going to be a personal judgment. In Romans 14 and verse 12, Paul says, So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. The wife is not going to be judged for her husband. The husband's not going to be judged for his wife. An individual is not going to be judged based on what the congregation did. There won't be any excuses accepted on the day of judgment. A brother cannot complain, well I just couldn't find the time. You can't say, well I would have done better if there wasn't so many hypocrites in the church. It won't work. Countless millions who have never taken the time or their effort to study the Bible, they just accept whatever some preacher says, following the commands of men, it's going to be too late to change at that time. It's going to be too late. In Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 through 23, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord have we not prophesied in your name? cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name I will declare to them I never knew you depart from me you who practice lawlessness these are religious people Jesus says many, many, many people are going to say that they thought they were all right. why? they did what some man or woman told them to do but it wasn't what God's word said The judgment is a fact. No one can escape. Wise man Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 12 verses 13 and 14, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all, for He will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. But seventh and finally, we cannot escape the eternal verdict of God. That day, everyone is going to be separated, some on the right and some on the left. Matthew 25 and verse 34, Jesus said, Then the King will say to those on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. In Matthew 25 verse 41, it says, Then he will say to those on the left hand, Depart from me ye cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. God gives us the power of choice. We can either accept his word or we can reject it. We can either obey it or we can ignore it. God's justice is going to be manifested in his verdict. It's going to exclude from heaven. Everyone who refused to obey him. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. John 14 and verse 15. Jesus loves you more than anyone on this earth could possibly love you. He gave the ultimate gift. His blood. To save you. He's asking you to respond in love to him. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 2, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. These are seven things that we cannot possibly escape. Every one of us is individually responsible to God. We cannot escape that fact. We cannot escape the all-seeing eye of God. We cannot escape the fact that we have an influence. It's either good or it's bad. We cannot escape the consequences of sin. Every sin has consequences. And if we don't obey the Lord, that ultimate consequence is that we're going to be separated from Him eternally in the fires of hell. We cannot escape death. It's going to come to every one of us if the Lord doesn't come first. No one can escape the judgment. We can't decide, well, I, I don't want to be there. We're going to be there, every one of us, and it's going to be individual. We cannot escape the eternal verdict of God. Question is, are you prepared? Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? If you do, will you turn away from a life of sin and repentance? Will you step forward and confess your faith in Him? Be buried in Him with Him in baptism to have your sins washed away? When you do that, the Lord will add you to his church, the group of the saved, Acts 2 and verse 47. Are you an unfaithful member of the church of Christ? And you need to repent. You need to confess your faith, your faults, and pray for forgiveness. The apostle Peter told Simon who was a a baptized believer in Acts 8 and verse 22, repent therefore of this your wickedness and pray God and perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. Even after we become Christians, if we give go in, back into sin, God still loves us. He's waiting for us to come back home to him. He promises in 1 John 1 and verse, uh, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Tonight, if you're subject to the Lord's invitation, he's calling to you, inviting you to come to him. Won't you do that as we stand and sing?